everybody, and happy Saturday. I bet you've been wondering where we are, where we were. We are trying to get our, our new schedule down. This is House Talk Pregame. I'm Dr. Lauren Pitts. That guy, oh, he's on the moon. I, I, I don't. You know what? Um, after, um, you know, this this uh, past weekend's uh, game between the Eagles and the Cowboys, I, look, your, your husband told me, don't text Lauren. She's not in the mood. Let it rock. I was like, I'm gonna let it rock. As long as you get your tomahawk steak that she promised you, if you all win, I'ma let it be. I haven't checked with him if he got his tomahawk steak like he so deserves after that phenomenal, phenomenal divisional win this past Sunday evening. Um, but I will say though, it was a really good game. It was a really it was good an game. Outstanding game. It was a really good game. I always love games like that. They go down to the wire and everything. Um but, you know, Dak will Dak. You know, Dak is going to Dak. Um, and so, you know, it is what it is. But welcome back to House Talk Pregame, everybody. This is episode 136, I believe. I believe it's 136. Don't quote me. We'll have to check with the records on that. But we have a very, very special show lined up for you all today. Um, we have Coach Pat Sullivan joining us back again from last season. Welcome to have you back on today, Coach. We got a really great topic. We are supposed to have possibly one more guest joining us, Mr. Kevin Miminger and everything, who was also a guest on our last season and everything. Uh, we got a really great topic today. You know, as much as we talk about, you know, athletes, you know, doing their careers and things like that as student athletes, um, today we're going to talk a little bit different, you know, going from the field to the boardroom, you know. We talk about all the transferable skills that athletes possess within themselves on the field, being leaders, being great communicators, being consistent, being disciplined, being on time, right? You know, being have time management, having situational awareness, all those skills and attributes that we only think are made for being a student athlete, but also those translate to in the real world, into the workforce, into corporate America, into blue collar work, into entrepreneurship. Those skills are the foundational pieces for you to have success well after your football or, or sports career ends. So we're going to be talking about how those skills transfer into the real world. And what are some tips that all of us have learned about being former athletes, being parents of athletes and stuff like that? And what are some things we see in the real world today that are helping student athletes make that transition as seamlessly as possible. So we're going to get into that in a few. Um, <laughs> Dr. Pitts, I did have a few um, updates, some HBCU updates and everything that I wanted to go through real quick. Um, first and foremost, um, just as much as I pick on Dr. Pitts about her Cowboys, I have to have some accountability here. Um, as, a, as a Trojan, as a Virginia State Trojan, um, we did not uh, come up victorious last week in our uh, actually, do you know, uh, Dr. Pitts, that last week was the 123rd game between Virginia Union and Virginia State University? It wow. is one of the longest running rivalries, not only in the state of Virginia, but in the country. Wow. But in the country. Wow. And only, 20, only 2020 was the first time since, I believe, World War II was the only year they did not play. So, wow. so what's the record? Deal. It's a right. I, I want to. I, I looked at it last week. I think. I think UVA and Tech have us edged out by a few years. Wow. Um, I think they have us edged out by a few years. But from HBCU ranks, I think we're top three for longest rivalries for college football. Nice. Um, wow. So last week we had the uh, Douglas Wilder Cup, um, and unfortunately Virginia State did not come up victorious. Shout out to the Panthers at Virginia Union for uh, getting the victory, thirty to twenty. Um, they are now uh, heading to the CIAA championship game today against Fayetteville State Broncos. 
Um, they both played each other last year. And um, I believe Fayetteville won last year, if I'm not uh, mistaken. So it's looking to be a good game. Both teams are vying for a spot in the Region 2 playoffs. The Division 2 playoffs will start next week. Speaking of the uh, Division 2 playoffs, shout out to Benedict College down in Columbia, South Carolina. They have another undefeated regular season for the second year in a row. They are doing the damn thing. Excuse my language, but they are really doing it. And for people who don't keep up with um, Division Two playoffs or Division Two football like that, Region Two covers the uh, southeastern um, portion of the country, kind of like the SEC country and everything. Mm-hmm. It is regarded as one of the toughest regions in Division Two football. Wow. And for Benedict College to be the number one seed two years in a row just speaks to the dedication and the turnaround they've had at that program. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to play Benedict College when I was uh, at Virginia State. We played them my sophomore and junior years. They are tough. They're athletic. The coaches, you know, the the school atmosphere, like they have a beautiful field, a beautiful campus and everything. So it's really good to see them actually, you know, being on top of the sports world in Division Two. So shout out to them. Hope they have another beautiful playoff run this season. Um, And, you know, once again, so with that being said, um, Virginia State's Willie Drew, defensive back, uh, had a really great week this week outside of the season ending. Uh, Number one. Um, he was invited to the East-West Shrine Bowl Senior Bowl game, um, which is all the top seniors in college football from Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, whatever the case may be. Um, so he's invited to play that actually in Dallas, Texas, Dr. Pitts. They're going to be playing at Cowboys Field and everything this year. They're going to be using a Cowboys facility. In and the Jerry Land. <laughs> at Jerry Land. Yes, ma'am. They're going to be at Jerry Land this year for it. I believe nice. it's the first or second week of January, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around okay. that time. Um, so shout out to him for that. And on top of that, he was awarded the CIAA Defensive Player of the Year. Um, he had a phenomenal season. Um, Virginia State has actually had all 32 teams actually come by campus this year and watch them practice, watch them play and everything. So a lot of big things are going on at Virginia State. Willie Thanks. Drew is expected to go to the NFL and have a shot to compete to make the 53-man roster um, alongside a few other Trojans on there. The Trojans mm-hmm. had a total of six all CIAA picks this year, which is phenomenal. They were second in the conference. Virginia Union had the most. I think they had seven or eight. Um, so shout out to them. Shout out to uh, all the squads that made CIAA, all CIAA. Shout out to Virginia Union and Fayetteville State for making the CIAA championship game. Hopefully both teams can go on to the playoffs and make some noise in Region 2. Um, so, yeah, it's outside of, you know, the, the bittersweetness of losing last week to Union, um, uh-huh. Some really good individual news for some individual athletes on Virginia State, you know, making a uh-huh. lot of noise. Um, and with that being said, the, the last little bit of news I have um, is it's not so it's not so much good news. Um, it, it's a shame that we have to you know talk about this again with a different school. Uh-huh. But um, so earlier this week, and I'm going to read the article from HBCU Game Day. Um, Gerald Witcher is allegedly being let go just days after winning his first game as Morehouse College head coach. Multiple sources confirmed to HBCU Game Day's Kobe Scales that Wiltshire is out as head coach after 10 games. The players and director of athletics, Harold Ellis, are reportedly set to meet on Tuesday morning. Wiltshire posted this message airing his complaints with the conditions at Morehouse. After a hard fall eight months, my, my time has come to an end at my alma mater, Morehouse College. Please know that I tried every day to uplift my beloved Morehouse. Statistically, we improved in almost every category. We played a challenging schedule with only two home games. And even though we asked numerous times, we were not given resources to have a strength and conditioning program. 
I was hired after recruit after the recruiting season and had no recruiting budget. However, the college has made the decision to no longer retain me rather than give us the support and resources we need in order to be successful. Overall, I would like to thank my team who fought hard through so many adversities and never wavered in their belief. And although we were un underfunded in scholarships, we were still able to retain the Big Cat Trophy with a 35-21 win over Clark Atlanta University. Dear old Morehouse, dear old Morehouse, we have pledged our lives to thee and will ever, yeah, ever, yeah, forgive ourselves and loyalty. Um, and so, you know, this is the second time um, We've actually had to talk about this. If everybody remembers uh, two episodes ago, we talked about where St. Augustine's had kind of the same issue where there were a lot of reports about their players and coaches not having a field to practice on, not having a weight room, not having a locker room, barely having food on campus for the players to eat. And, you know, for those who may not be familiar with HBCUs, you know, when people ask you, do you know any HBCUs? There's typically three HBCUs that kind of pop up in mind. Howard being kind of like number one, the one that everybody kind of is familiar with. Morehouse and Spellman are the other two. And so I went online um, and I looked at, you know, what Morehouse's endowment fund is. And for those who don't know what an endowment fund is, it's basically kind of like a trust fund that colleges have where they, you know, put their money to the side and everything. And they get to keep it there like a little savings account. Now, to put it in comparison, Harvard University has $42 billion in their endowment fund, which is astronomical right it's a very astronomical amount of money um so morehouse has roughly around 145 million in their endowment fund now i am no construction person i'm no architecture person anything like that but i find it very hard to believe that a million two million five million cannot be allocated to the athletics programs for them to have quality equipment, quality resources, so they can go out there and put out quality effort. If you've never played sports at the collegiate level before, this might be hard for you to fathom or understand. Well, they didn't have a weight room. They didn't have a, a strength and conditioning program. Do some push-ups, some air squats, and call it a day. If you've ever played collegiate sports, especially collegiate football, you understand that these are 18 to possibly 22, 23-year-old grown men whose bodies are asked to be go out there for average for 65 to 70 plays and experience a mini car accident week after week after week after week. I cannot fathom how somebody like Morehouse, a prestigious school, prestigious alumni, well-known, world-renowned, how do you all simply not have a simple strength and conditioning program for your athletes? Even if it's football aside, how do you not have that for the entire athletics program? That is uncalled for. I don't understand how they could have possibly expected this team this season to go out there and perform to the best of their abilities when they don't have the proper resources that they need. And I get it. I understand some schools don't value athletics like other schools do. Like we see in SEC country where Alabama, Florida, Florida State, Clemson, where football is religion. Sports are religion down there. And they will throw every penny they can possibly find into the athletics programs. We have to do better. We have to. It, it, it's uncalled for. It's not right. 
I'm at a loss for words here. This is two HBCUs this season who have come out and have talked about the atrocities that their players have had to endure and still expect them to go out there and perform at the best of their abilities, right? And even for the scholarship players out there, like you signed a scholarship to go out there with in mind that this school is going to give you the resources and tools necessary to be the best student athlete you can be. And once again, here's another example of a school not putting their athletes' best interest in their mental well-being and their physical well-being at the top of that list. We have to do something different. You know, I, I don't know what we have to do, but we have to find a way to give these student athletes the proper resources necessary. So we stop having stories like this halfway through the season or at the end of the season where all these bombshell revelations come out about what these student athletes simply did not have. That should just be a given to go out there and play the sport that they love. I don't care, even if it's, I'm, I'm going to let you go with Dr. Pitts. Mm-hmm. And for those out there who say, oh, well, it's D2 football, it's Morehouse, half of them kids probably don't care. If you go play college sports, regardless of the sport, you have made an investment of your personal time to go out there and put your body and your mind through strenuous exercises, strenuous regimens, and strenuous games. I don't care if you're a Jersey player, you just want to be a part of the team, but you are making a personal investment to spend your time, your body, your livelihood doing that sport. I'm sure even the players who could care less about what's going on still want to see something change for the rest of the school and the athletics programs at these HBCUs. And we have to do something different. Go ahead, Dr. Pitts. I'm going to add insult to injury because election day just passed. And here in Texas, sports are a religion. They are the holy grail of our lives here in Texas. And just for boo-boo and giggles, I dare all of you to go online and Google high school athletic arenas in Texas. Sports is such a religion here in Texas that our high school programs, our high school programs, were on our ballots for new athletic stadiums. On our ballots, on our election ballots here in Texas for our for some of our high school programs to get new new athletic degrees. Now, for Google and Giggles, I want you to Google what the old arenas and stadiums look like that we're getting ready to replace. Because Mm -hmm. I kid you not, having gone to a number of the 106 HBCUs in this country and having worked at one of them for several years, I have never, ever seen an an HBCU arena that can even hold a candle, let alone a torch to Texas high school arenas. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. When my cousins moved here from Delaware in June, that is one of the things that they're the most fascinated with. They're riding like oh my god you did not tell us that these high school stadiums and athletic arenas are better than co- yeah absolutely Buku money Buku money go into our athletic programs here and the high school athletic programs and their facilities and all of the amenities that they have are running circles around hbcu programs and it's a disgrace it is and that's what i have to it say is. about it we, we have to, we have to be able to do something better um and even if we don't have immaculate stadiums or facilities like you know mm-hmm. even even Texas high school football just have a facility 
right? It takes nothing to go find weights, to find equipment, even if it's not brand spanking new. I am sure there are programs around the country that will gladly and willfully donate equipment. Matter of fact, you know what? Maybe that's what we should try and do. Maybe we can make this a PSA and we'll we'll clip we'll post this clip on TikTok, on Instagram, Facebook, whatever the case may be. We'll post this specific clip right here and we'll ask, are there any programs willing to donate equipment to Morehouse and any other schools, regardless of it's HBCU or not, to have athletics programs that do not have the proper resources for their schools to thrive? Because once again, when you go out there, if you were to go out there and watch a Morehouse game this season, you didn't know that they didn't have a strength and conditioning program. You didn't know that they didn't have a recruiting budget in the offseason. You just see 11 men on offense and defense walk on the field and you expect them to produce results. I just don't I just don't understand how you can expect these young men to produce results when they have nothing to produce with. It is not you just wake up and go play football at the collegiate level. It does not work that way. Maybe there are five or six handful of college athletes who can wake up and go do that, but they're at the Division One level where they have the proper resources to do that. But in Division Two, you might have one person, the entire division, who can wake up and just go play football. It does not work that way. I did it. I did it for four years. You don't just wake up and go out there and play football. You have to train. You have to prepare your body, your mind, what you put in your body. All that matters to go out there on a Saturday afternoon and perform. And if you don't have half of that, how can you expect me to fully perform when I have a quarter of those resources? So any just, big schools out there listening, if you have any equipment that you want to donate that's used, refurbished, whatever the case may be, in good standing condition, please reach out to us so we can get you in contact with some of these HBCUs so you can donate this equipment. It's a tax write-off. Go right off on your taxes. It ain't. Mm. It's simple. Like, come on, people. We have to do better for these athletes. What are we expecting them to do? Mm. Oh, wow. So, I was just sitting here thinking about the fact that, you know, my hometown in southern New Jersey is one of the poorest, if not the poorest city in the state of New Jersey. And... We just within the past month or so, the entire football stadium was redone. Um, and we have always had a weight room and a strength and conditioning program. But they don't have 145 million sitting in the bank. No, mm -mm. no. And it's and they got it done. Um, they got it done. So shame on Morehouse. Yeah. Shame on, shame on Morehouse. Yeah. Let's, let's go. We could stay on that all day. Did you have a mental health tip of the week that you wanted to go over, or are you good? Um, I'll give it. I'll, I'll leave it in. I'll okay, leave it in. Cool. All right. Mm -hmm. So, like we said, we got a special guest with us here returning to House Talk pregame, one of our family members, Mr. Coach Pat Sullivan. So, Coach, for those who did not get a chance to watch the last episode you won, just tell the people real quick about yourself real quick and, you know, just a little bit of your background. Well, I like, like you, Ronnie, I played college basketball and college baseball and when mm -hmm. i got out of uh college i went to a high school where i taught english uh spanish and and coach actually we didn't have football then we were a soccer school mm -hmm. and today they have won 12 state championships in football so the school really grew um and uh then from there, I spent 10 years, 10 wonderful years at the high school. And then my college coach 
took a, a small school in Joliet, Illinois, called St. Francis. And Gordy mm -hmm. Gillespie is his name. He went over to St. Francis. Well, he asked me to come with him as the basketball coach. So I did. And uh, Ronnie, I stayed a little bit of uh, time there, uh, Dr. Lauren, 34 years. So I know everything you're saying about facilities. I know what you're saying about scholarship money. Uh, I can relate 100%. We had a great president for our first nine years, 19 years, who understood the value of athletics. All that athletic, the education that you receive from your athletics. And, and then we went through one president who didn't believe that at all. Ronnie, he cut scholarships in half. So we went from being a, a little old program that could literally compete in the NAIA and Division II. We were dual members for a while there. So we could compete at the national level. Certainly not that we'd beat the number one teams in America, but we played them. We right. did play them. And in our conference, and I'll stop with this, when our conference had been to 90 national championships, that's all sports, we had been to 60 of them. So we developed a pretty darn good uh, athletic program, comprehensive men, women, um, and, and and then we had it taken away because the next president didn't believe that athletics had values. He must have got he must have got cut from his high school team. That's all that is. That that we, he was picked last on the playground, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you you make a great point, Coach. Where even even if you don't care for athletics, even if you don't care for sports. We don't understand that the 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 awe, the attraction, the aura of athletics, how it impacts a community. For example, um, at the NBA level, they were talking about um, when Giannis Antetokounmpo was um, became like a star in Milwaukee. You know, Milwaukee is a small market. You know, compared mm -hmm. to L.A., New York, Dallas, things like that. They're a very small market, and they were talking about the economic impact that he has had on the entire city of Milwaukee. Now, regardless if you watched Bucks basketball games or not, he has impacted the community. They have brought in, I think, since he's been a Milwaukee Buck, well over two billion more money in additional revenue to the city of Milwaukee because of his stardom, because of his athletic ability, and because of the team being good. Now, I know all the citizens of Milwaukee might not watch basketball, but they have benefited in some way, shape, or form from the economic impact that the basketball team has had on the community. And sports teams at the collegiate level do this, too. Let's look at Michigan, for example. Michigan is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. If you didn't know about University of Michigan, if somebody were to ask you, where is Ann Arbor? They'd be like, Chesapeake, Chesapeake Bay, you know, Gulf Coast. Like, where is it at? They will tell you, no, it's in smack dab middle of nowhere, Michigan. And the school itself generates millions and millions and millions of dollars for the community. There are people who have generational jobs at the University of Michigan because of what athletics has done for the entire community. The networking, when you have student athletes who mm. might not make it to the professional level, but they have a chance to go off into corporate America or into make a, or be an entrepreneur and things like that and reach back to the school that they just came from and pull people along. 
you can't put a price on that. You can't put an evaluation on the networking that athletics can bring certain schools. And, you know, when, like you said, when you have people come in and undermine that or not value it at the level that it should be, it shouldn't be, you know, end all be all. It shouldn't be the only thing that school values, but it is a valuable asset to have. Very rarely are sports a liability to a school. I don't, I can't really think of any collegiate program, regardless of division, where their athletics program is a liability to the well being of the school. You don't have to be a sports fan to understand the economic, the community, and the resourceful impact that athletics have. And, you know, I'm great. I'm glad we're having this conversation because even for our student athletes out there listening, you know, your skill sets that you have as student athletes, whether it's the ability to make decisions quickly and under pressure, the ability to work with teams, being coachable, communicating well in group settings, being competitive, goal oriented, can handle adversity, be a leader. Learn from your failures and mistakes, having mental toughness, being a mentor, because, you know, a lot of teams, you know, they have big brother, big sister programs within the athletics, being having organization skills, being able to receive feedback well, having a strong work ethic, time management skills. All these skills transfer from being a student athlete to being an employee, being a boss, being a, a, a coworker, being a colleague in the real world. And when you undermine this process to allow this to to for allow athletes to learn these skills in a healthy and safe environment is no different than coming from an underserved community or not having resources in a city. And you have people in survival mode where they don't have these skills to uplift one another, work together as a community and uplift the community and things of that nature. You just have people taking from one another, stealing from one another, kind of like, you know, what we say in the black community, crabs of a crabs in a, a bucket, you know, pulling each other down. When one person makes it, we got to drag them back down because God forbid they do better than us. And we got the same 24 hours in a day. So, you know, it, it's unfortunate when selfish people get into powers of position and really have an impact in a negative way. Well, Dr. Lauren, if I may, uh, feeding off of what Ronnie just said, at many schools, many colleges, athletics and academics coincide. Yes. Now, for example, at St. Francis, I coached 100 and 76 seniors in my tenure there. 172 of them finished their degrees because they knew that's why you came here. Then we did a study of our entire athletic program. And Ronnie, we're not taking it from freshman year to senior year. We're talking about this. When a kid plays his senior year, the, the coach has a responsibility Right. To do all he can that that young man, that young lady get their degree. And we found that 92% of the seniors in our 14 sports did get their degrees because that was our culture. That was our culture. And, and, uh, and then another thought, we would share this with the kids. 99% of you are never going to play professional athletes. Yep. They did a study in baseball. They, they covered 900 kids out of either high school or college who signed a minor league contract. Mm -hmm. 20 of the 900, 20, made it to the big leagues. Five, only five stayed long enough to get a pension. 
And that's going to be the same thing with the NFL, the yep. NBA, you know. So when you come to college and don't get your degree, that's awful. And yeah. I'll tell you what, right? And, and Dr. Dr. Lauren, I, I don't like this new thing about the portal and about um, NIL. Because as they were bringing these things into primarily Division One athletics, but all athletics, um, you know what word you never heard? What's that? Education. Think about it. All as they were talking about was sport. Nothing about education, and I think that's really sad. I feel you. I will. I will say. Um, I I do like nil. I, I do like NIL. And the reason I say that is because, you know, even though I was at a division two program and we weren't generating millions of dollars, you know, all the athletes that came before me and all the athletes now, even at the division one level, you know, I always use uh, university of Alabama as an example. And we did this uh, case study in season one where just the football program itself brought in $170 million that one season. And the players, you know, everybody says, well, the players get a full ride and, you know, they get room and board and all that. But that's that's part of your scholarship. Like I generated this money for this school and I get nothing from it. And so from an NIL perspective, I do think there has to be some balance in it where that's not the only focus for the student athlete is how much money can I get? I do think it's an important part, though, and I do think it's well deserved for the athletes. However, it cannot overshroud while you're in college to begin with. Right. You know, oh, you're, right. you're there to get an education, right? Because like you said, 99% of student athletes who go to college will never play a professional sport. And if, for example, for football, only 0.8% of college college football players go to the league. 0.6% of, of college basketball players go to the NBA. Baseball is somewhere around, I think, like 0.4, 0.5. So it's even less than a percent of these college athletes who actually get to the professional level. And I think the one benefit of NIL is to that point because the 99% don't get to go well hell like since I'm here and since the school's making all this money I should get some of this right and as far as the transfer portal goes I'm I have mixed feelings about the transfer portal because I do think it can be used and abused we do see at the division yes. one level where some of these programs they have capitalized on the transfer portal and they've got these athletes coming in and the football programs are taking off like Florida State uh Tulane um, Colorado at the beginning of the year where they had all these transfers coming in. They capitalize on that. But also to your point, I think the detriment of the transfer porter is, is when we get to the athletes who start transferring more than once, right? Where you didn't like your coaches or you didn't like the school the first time, so you transfer. And then you don't like these new set of coaches. You don't like this school, so you transfer again. After a while, the common denominator, common denominator becomes you, the athlete. You know, like not every you're not going to like every coach. You're not going to like every style. But for the most part, all coaches kind of have the same mindset. I'm trying to instill a level of discipline and consistency in you. So when you go out on the field, you carry that over onto the field. And if you don't like certain coaching styles or schemes and stuff like that, well, you either have to somehow find a way to adapt because when you get into the workforce, like we're talking about. That's right. You might not like every boss you have. You might not like all your coworkers, but you still have to find a way for you all to accomplish a common goal, which is to make money, have a livelihood for your families, make sure the business is prospering, X, Y, and Z. So I do agree with you in that sense. I think education does get lost in those two aspects, but I think there has to be some level of regulation and you know balance to that, 
And uh, go ahead, Dr. Pierce. I know we just uh, been rambling and everything, but go ahead. You're fine. You're fine. I want to connect some dots um, because, you know, one of the things that we talk about clinically, right, we always have to look at what are the antecedents to certain behaviors? What are the antecedents that had this end result of mental illness or some sort of behavioral challenge that that our athletes and, and others are experiencing? So when you connect the dots and you look at what you're both saying, we have the athletic ability, we have the education in the middle, and then we have the boardroom on the other side. Because how many times have we discussed on this show that you cannot play your sport forever? You have to be able to utilize those transferable skills, whether you're going into corporate America or whatever it is that you decide to do. Last week, I had the distinct pleasure of attending a summit um, that was held here where Cheryl Swoops, the first woman signed to the WNBA spoke, Emmett Smith, you know, former champion and, and um, distinguished running back for the Dallas Cowboys for many years. Um, and then um, Wyndham, oh Lord, I can never remember his last name, but the gentleman that won the, the U.S. Open, um, okay. Jay Shetty and Cheryl uh, Jones Anderson, who's Jerry Jones's daughter, I had the distinct pleasure of hearing all of them speak at this summit that I attended, and the constant theme that and and Matthew McConaughey, I can't forget him, the constant theme that continued to come up as we talk about this transition to the proverbial boardroom or the corporate arena or to life beyond sport is mental health. The mm -hmm. mental health piece kept coming up, kept coming up, kept coming up. One of the things that Wyndham said, which was hilarious, we were cracking up, because he said that his agent and his manager told him that he needed to see a therapist. Like, dude, you're not going to play golf forever. There's there's stuff that's going on in sport. There's stuff that's going to go on after sport. You need to see a therapist. He was like, no. <laughs> he was like, I'm not doing that. He, he totally acknowledged. He was like, I didn't believe in therapy. I didn't want to go to therapy. And he fought him. He's like, I'm not doing that. And they're like, yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Okay, I am. And he finally went. But when you look at, and this is the, he, the, the thing that he, Cheryl and Emmett all highlighted, is when you look at what is required of them beyond athletics, right? The mental health piece is such an integral part of how they conduct business beyond their athletic performance. So when you when I when I break that down clinically and I look at some of the things that come into play when there is vocational stress, it speaks to what you both were saying. Right. The, if, if you're you're constantly transferring and eventually it's like, wait, dude or wait, lady. You're the common denominator here. It's not always the coaches when you are combative and argumentative in the team. You know, we've seen in the news different players saying different things about the, the issues that they have with how their teams are performing and what have you. Well, guess what? You are who you are. So mm -hmm. it's not like those behaviors, those attitudes, those belief systems are strictly when, because you're in front of the media during or after a game. That's right. how you're going to show up in life after sport. That's how you're going to show up in the boardroom. And one of the things that Emmett said that I thought was so powerful, he said oftentimes he's walking in a room to do business and people just want to talk about sports. No, 
I'm here to talk about business. And right. people will zero in on are so focused on the athletic piece that they can't even have the appropriate conversation in the boardroom or in the business meeting or whatever the case may be. And then that gives space to these mental health challenges. One of the things that arise is, and we talked about this a couple of shows ago, adjustment disorder with depression, mm -hmm. adjustment disorder with anxiety. Now you find yourself in the boardroom or in the business meeting or in a job interview because you got cut much earlier in your athletic career than you thought. And now what? You, you don't know how to transfer those skills. You don't know how to get along with your superiors. You don't know how to get along with your colleagues. And now you're either going to keep job hopping just like you kept portal, you know, transferring. Mm -hmm. and, and your professional career ends up being as much of a train wreck as your athletic career was because you don't know how to behave. You have to learn how to behave. Well, Laura, Dr. Lauren, that's... That's really interesting because I have some friends who are professional baseball players and played at a very high level in the major leagues. They hired a psychologist. They hired a psychologist because the he's coming on the show. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be on the show after the first year. He's coming. Tell him bring them rings. Show them rings. Show them world championship rings. <laughs> yeah. What they said, among many things that they learned, was how to relax mm -hmm. under pressure. Yeah. And insights for when you leave professional mm -hmm. sport, think about your life afterwards. So, mm -hmm. so athletes are actually hiring psychologists. And mm -hmm. as a coach for 44 years, I agree with that. That was one of the things, Coach, that Wyndham said. He said that when he finally agreed to go to therapy because they had a particular therapist that they wanted him to work with, he went to a sports psychologist. But he said something that caused me to just like lose all my mind in a positive way because he said the entire time that he worked with her, she never talked about sports. She talked about everything else. She talked about family. She talked about friends. She talked about life stressors. Hello. That's what I've been saying for the six years that we've been doing this podcast is that family, th and I'm not taking anything from, we have friends that are sports psychologists that come on the show, not mm -hmm. taking anything from Dr. Mark Allen and his crew or anything like that. However, there is a systemic piece that needs to be addressed that couple marriage and family therapists, licensed professional counselors, mental health counselors that can tease out and get to the essence of on a whole nother level because we are not going to spend the entire session, if at all, talking about sports because there's life before sports, there's life after sports. And guess what? If your home life is shipwrecked, it's going to show up in your performance. Yes, it is. I, and I think I think both of you all make great points. <clears throat> Dr. Piss, I, I let you rock when you was describing Emmitt Smith because you forgot the most important team he played for, which was the Arizona Cardinals. But I'm going to let you live on that one. <laughs> but any back to back to both of y'all point. And Dr. Piss, you made a great point about um, when athletes go see sports psychologists and everything. Um, I, I do think that a lot of times, you know, they do think that 
you know, because they have issues within the sport. Well, let's start with the sport itself. Kind of like um, if I could compare it to like, you know, solution focused brief therapy or something like that, where we're looking for a solution to this specific problem you have. We don't necessarily have to deep dive into your history, your trauma history, whatever the case may be. We're just addressing this specific issue right here. And there is a time and place for that because some athletes do just have a specific issue related to the sport that, yes, we can use those techniques and things like that to help that out. But for the most part, and even for me, like, and I'm just speaking for me, I can't speak for every athlete out there. Football was my therapy. That was my escape from the real world traumas and issues that I was dealing with outside of the football field. That was my escape. That was my therapist. That was the person I could go vent to and talk to and things like that. I didn't have, I always tell people, I was able to comp compartmentalize any issue I had off the football field. The moment I walked on that field, it did not matter nothing. It never mattered. When I walked on the field, I was locked into the game. I was locked into the schematics, to the X's and O's, the quarters, the drives. Like I was locked in. Now I walk off the field though, you know, it kind of hit me like a tidal wave. Like, well, while you were gone for these three, four hours, here's what you missed. You know, kind of my brain giving me a recap of everything. But when it came to the sport itself, that was my escape. And to your point, Dr. Piss, I do think a lot of times when we do work with student athletes, we have to keep in mind that for the most part, the sport they're playing, that was their therapist before they came to therapy. And so they might not have those issues creeping onto the field or to the court yet. However, those issues that are persisting in their everyday personal lives, yes, if it's not addressed or not healed in a certain way, it can creep into their lives. And, and coach, you made another great point, too, about academics that I want to touch on, too, that I think is really, really important. And I want your perspective on this, too. Um, we know that in today's climate, today's society, that going back a generation, you know, there was a huge emphasis on getting a college education and everything. And there's still a huge emphasis in today's generation. However, one thing that I highlight to all student athletes and just people and young people in general is that we live in a society nowadays by 2030. By 2030, 60% of blue collar jobs will no longer exist for humans. They will be replaced by artificial intelligence, robots in some way, shape or form. That's seven years, well, six years from now. That's literally, we have people going to college this fall who are class of 2026, 2027. That's not that far from now. We already saw like for my generation, the, the millennials and everything. When we graduated college, everybody said, go to college, get a degree, get all these fancy degrees and everything. And the old saying is, it's not what you know, it's who you know still reigns true. You can go get a fancy engineering degree or astrophysics degree or uh, a English degree, a biology degree. But if you don't know nobody in that field, if you don't have networking capabilities in that specific field, you will have this fancy degree, these thousands of dollars worth of student loan debt and working a regular nine to five job. That's not what you want. And so when I talk to student athletes and, and young people right now about going to college, number one, college isn't for everybody. I, I, I wholeheartedly I have two degrees. I have a bachelor's and master's. And I tell people all the time, the only reason I went, the only reason, number one, is I got my bachelor's because I wanted to play football, make it to the NFL. That was the only reason why. They said you had to be a student athlete. You couldn't be an athlete. They got rid of that a long time ago. So you had to be a student. The reason I got my master's is because I wanted to climb in the counseling field and actually have an actual impact on individuals, but I had to have a degree to do that. Outside of that, you wouldn't have, you couldn't have paid me all the money in the world to go sit in a college classroom. Why? Because I do think, yes, is some of the experience is valuable. Absolutely. But networking and on the job experience, 
is far more superior than going to sit in a classroom for four to five years, reading out of a book and never having the actual uh, experience to apply the things you're learning. And so when I talk to student athletes nowadays, I tell them like, hey, if you're going to go get a criminal justice degree, understand this, like you could go to the military, be in the military for four to five years, get all the training and skills necessary you need and go to the FBI, go to the CIA, go to your local police department, whatever the case may be, and be more than qualified than somebody who sat in a classroom for four to five years and just learned what you should do in these situations. Like, and I'm not just picking on criminal justice degrees, mass communication degrees. Bro, if you want to talk to the masses, you got YouTube, you got TikTok, you got Instagram, you got Facebook. Like, I don't need a degree to go talk to the masses. Now, I understand it helps you with understanding some of the ins and outs of production and stuff like that. And that's what you want to do. Cool. But I think one thing that we don't talk to student athletes and kids enough about is what the hell are you going to do with this degree when you graduate? Do you actually have a job lined up? Do you have an internship lined up? Do you know people in this field that you can call and contact at any moment and say, hey, can you mentor me or can you give me some jewels or some advice on how to handle the situation? We don't stress that part of it enough. We just tell kids, go to college, go get this degree and figure it out. That itself has to change. And, and what I'm seeing today is some people at 18 elect not to go to college but they go work for a company mm -hmm. 25 years down the road. They're a vice president. Mm -hmm. No one cared that they didn't have a college degree. They were so competent in what they were doing. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, I agree. And I always say this, my dad had a sixth grade education. I worked with a lot of doctorates. I've yet to meet the doctor who had the wisdom of my father. There is a difference between wisdom, mm -hmm. work ethic, all those things come in and, and you don't have to go to college to get those. And again, I agree with you, Ronnie. What degree are you getting? Will this degree actually lead to a job? And yeah. unfortunately, a lot of them don't. Yep. Yeah, so I agree. It's I, I tell students high school students you know that i mentor and and even adults that i have on my caseload that don't know what they want to be when they grow up mm -hmm. i say you know you you have to research the labor market you can literally go to the department of labor's website and look at what the labor trends are going to be to ronnie's point about artificial intelligence it's like you have to educate yourself you you don't have to be in the formal classroom at the collegiate level to educate yourself and to get greater understanding as to what your options are. Yes, if you want to play sports at the collegiate level, then you're going to have to be a student athlete. But beyond that, that's why I strongly advise students to take career inventory assessments, because not only can it clarify for you what might be a, 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 a specific major that you should consider if you do decide that college is for you, but you don't want to just stop there. You want to do the career inventory assessment that's going to give you some insight as to what you know majors you may want to consider, but then do the research. Find out what are the labor trends saying about those particular fields so that you can make a well-informed decision. Emotions by themselves are horrible advisors. Dr. Pitts, I love this and I love that and I love the other. Don't look at everything that you love. Look at things that you don't like and see how that's going to come into play. Because one of the things that I look for when I'm screening clients for vocational stress, and I'm just going to 
read it straight from the the the, um, the planner. When I'm I'm looking at some of the behaviors, is feelings of inadequacy, fear of failure, fear of of um, loss, um, concerns about being promoted or unemployment or whatever the case may be. Some of those goals that we put in place that that circle back to those transferable skills that you both were talking about is increasing sense of confidence and confidence in dealing with work responsibilities, being cooperative with and accepting of supervision of direction in the work setting, being able to approve satisfaction and comfort with your coworker relationships. All of those things speak directly to the same types of behaviors that are demonstrated in the athletic arena. And if you can't develop mastery in your sport, how do you expect that it's just going to automatically miraculously happen when you make that transition? You have to be able to develop a degree of mastery in addition to your athletic performance that's going to position you to be a stellar business owner or a stellar employee. I want to put emphasis for a moment on that entrepreneurial piece that you mentioned, right? It, it's like, you, when, when, Coach, when you mentioned your dad and my grandfather had an eighth grade education, right? But one of the, th the same thing, right? He was one of the wisest men that I knew. And one of the wisest things that he ever did was develop mastery at relationships. He was a phenomenal, phenomenal human being that people absolutely just loved. He knew how to treat people with decency and respect. And because he treated people with decency and respect, people would do anything in the world for Lester Pitt Sr. They would do anything in the world. He could get you to, and he didn't have to ask you two or three times. He was, girly, don't you want to do that for your grandpa? <laughs> well, <laughs> since you put it like that. <laughs> yeah, but, but he was, he had a heart of gold because his people skills were phenomenal, despite the fact that he only had an eighth grade education. And that's, the, that's I believe, I'd love to get you both opinion on this. I believe that one of the biggest issues that our athletes have, and, and when it comes to the transition to life beyond sport, is folk don't have stellar people skills anymore. They're, they're, they suck. They're attitudes suck their behavior sucks their people skills are in the toilet because everything is about texting everything is about social media nobody wants to actually have a substantive relatable conversation anymore and when you look at the the educational piece i tell my clients all the time relationships are not intellectual exercises yeah. No, you, you make a great point. And, you know, like you said, technology and social media have been the biggest inhibitors to people just having just normal interpersonal, you know, skills and relationships. You know, for example, I have this conversation with young men all the time, you know, um, excuse my language, but we live in a, in a world where, you know, seeing half naked women, seeing porn and stuff like that is as easy as picking up your phone and just doing a quick search or whatever the case may be. You know, you didn't have that type of access 20, 30 years ago. You know, you didn't have seen things like that. And so social media, I always tell people, I always describe social media as people's subconscious image of themselves being played out on a physical platform consciously for everybody to see. So like Dr. Piss, kind of like what you say, when you ask people who they are, not what you think people want you to be or stuff like that. Well, that's what social media is. Social media is everybody's portrayal of what they think people want them to be or see. And so they portray that. 
But what we don't see on social media is the hardships, the the setbacks, the failures, and things like that. We only see the good moments, the the great things people accomplish. And so it establishes unrealistic expectations for the newer generation of how things go. I talk to young men all the time. If you think that all women look like what you see on Instagram, you're fooling yourself. Like if you think talking to women, how you talk to them on social media is going to find you a wife, man, you got a long ways to go. Like, but I, I, I try to, and I speak to the older generations about this too, where I think also the disconnect is, is that because the older generation, like you said, you all had no choice but to go out and communicate with each other and talk and stuff like that. You know, looking at social media from you all's perspective might look like, you know, well, these kids aren't doing things in X, Y, and Z. But the, the, the reality is that it is here to stay. And so we have to help children and young adults understand that you have to be able to understand what's reality and what's just something you see on your phone screen or computer screen, because that's not always reality. However, we also have to help them move through the reality that this thing exists. Because if we sit there and ignore the impact of social media and technology, we're missing the part of how we can better collaborate towards solutions to help young people develop those interpersonal skills. I think another thing that had a huge impact on not only the country, but the world was COVID. You know, COVID had everybody locked up for about a year and a half, you know, in their homes, in the safety of their homes and stuff like that. And so that prevented people from hashing out, you know, hardships or having those tough conversations and things like that. You were forced to have it virtually or you were just forced to not have it at all. And so now that everybody's kind of been coming back into the community the last year and a half now, we see some of these deficits where people have social anxiety at an all-time high now. People have this issue with making meaningful relationships or having friendships. Even for kids, when I talk to kids nowadays, kids have a difficult time building positive friendships because they were locked away for a year and a half during the crucial stages mm -hmm. of development. And then we don't talk about it enough with them on how to redevelop those skills. Well, Dr. Lauren here, I think my son Pat is an example of exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. In high school, he worked at the Jewel Food Store. Mm -hmm. In college, he worked at Chicago Nike Town, where mm -hmm. he was learning all these people skills. Mm -hmm. He graduated in marketing. Then he was fortunate to get a job in technology, to go mm -hmm. right to IBM. Mm. He was 56 in his class. Classes started at 8. He had to get up at 6 to work on the technology part because mm -hmm. he was way behind in that. Mm -hmm. Most of the people hired were computer science majors. Mm -hmm. There were 56 in his class. At the end of the year, three people were left. Wow. He was one of them because he had people skills. Yep. 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 And, and I wanted to piggyback on something else that you said, Coach. You used, I believe, one of the most powerful words in the universe, and that is value. And I think that that's one of the discrepancies. I think that that's one of the personal deficiencies that these younger generations have is they don't see the value in people skills. They don't see the value in what we know to be true as the, as Ronnie said so eloquently, the older generation is that it doesn't have to be, or it can be, and you can have all of your artificial intelligence. You can have, you know, the our what many young people see as our antiquated way of doing things. But at the end of the day, 
it can be this beautiful marriage of both worlds that is instrumental in helping people achieve levels of success, perhaps that they haven't considered because, you know, with that old label, right? I'm, I'm, I'll be old school, but guess what? When I'm interviewing clinicians to bring into my practice, you need to be able to have a conversation with me. You need to be able to make eye contact with me. You need to be able to use your boardroom language and not your block language with me. You need to be able to have an intelligent conversation with me, not just about all of your formal education and training, not about how many thousands of people that you have on social media because you're also an influencer. I want to know what makes you tick. I want to know what your triggers and stressors are. I want to know if you're really conflict avoidant or not. I want to know when was the last time you experienced vicarious trauma. I want to know what your relationship is with your mom and dad. I want to know what your relationship is with your siblings. I want to know if you ever got fired from a job. Not because I won't hire you because you got fired from a job, but I want to know what you learned from being fired from that job. And if you can't have those substantive conversations with me, I don't care how many followers you have, you can't come work for Legacy Counseling and Life Coaching LLC because your people skills are going to be instrumental in helping you to connect with your clients. Prior to us going live, Ronnie and I were talking. He asked, It was a powerful, powerful question. He's, his supervisor asked him, why is he good at what he does? Now, I knew the answer. I was wondering how long it was going to take him to figure it out. I've been to the answer as to why he's so good at what he does. But the beauty of that conversation that his supervisor was having with him, as he shared with me, is that until he was able to definitively put his finger on the pulse of why he's such an extraordinary clinician, it was going to keep creeping up and busting him in the back of the head because he couldn't articulate why he's an extraordinary clinician, right? Well, guess what? When you come to interview with us for a position, you need to be able to tell us that. You need to be able to tell us that. There are, we have had former athletes on this show, for example, that are licensed mental health practitioners. So you had to be able to have the conversation. You had to be able to have the people skills because most disciplines, with the exception of probably tech, most disciplines are going to require you to be able to interact with people. And if you cannot do that effectively, you are not going to be successful in life after sport. What's that expression? People don't care how much you know, but they care about how much you care. And right. I think for now, just jumping back to coaching, I think it's so important that coaches realize that, that they're not only trying to help their athletes in the sport, but they're also trying to help them off the court because they care about them. I got to tell you an incident that I think you'll like. Uh, we, we just lost Bobby Knight this week. Well, when the Nike clinics would come to Chicago, our kids, our team would always be the demonstrators for the coaches. Okay, wow. so now if you're 18 years old and you're going to demonstrate for Bobby Knight, I bet you're nervous, <laughs> you know, because, you know, Knight could be rough on players. Then you walked into the venue. We had 800 coaches at the clinic. Now you're really nervous. Okay, so you hear all these things about Bobby Knight and how tough he was. 
the first drill that he gave our kids, they couldn't have messed it up more. The coaches laughed. Knight went to the middle of the gym and he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. He says, if I, these kids probably got up at five, six in the morning to come here to help me teach you. So if I hear any more laughing, I'm going to get 10 of you <laughs> and you're going to come down here and you're going to demonstrate and the kids are going to sit in the front, front row and laugh at you. So what do the kids know immediately? Knight cared about it. all the stuff we heard about. No, he cared about us, all the difference in the world. And that's people skills too. And I'm not saying Bobby Knight, you know, I, I got to know him fairly well. You know, he did some things that, that were questionable, okay? But he also did a lot of things that nobody heard about that helped a whole lot of people. Right. And I think, that, I think that's a great way to end the show. You know, I always say two things can be true. You know, a really great person can do some not so great things. And then yeah. a, a really terrible person can do some really, really nice things. Yeah. yeah um, great point. Coach, do you have any final thoughts, any any pearls of wisdom that you would like to share with our, our audience? I, I think that what I did in this book, I, I picked out 20 concepts mm -hmm. that I thought were important in mm -hmm. building a team in athletics. Yeah. Then I researched each, con each concept in mm -hmm. business liter literature. Mm -hmm. This won't surprise anybody. The things that are really important in building a team in athletics mm -hmm. flow flawlessly into mm -hmm. building a team in in uh, in the business world. Yeah, and I yeah. think of all the things that coaches can do. They got to have knowledge. They got to be lifelong learners. They mm -hmm. got to insert humor into their into the the sport because there mm -hmm. is so much pressure. We got to mm -hmm. take some of that pressure away. But I still think what I just um, hit, the most important thing, they care. Yeah. Most important. They have to know that you care. Ronnie? Well, y'all, that uh, is episode 136. Coach, we really appreciate you being back on the show. You know your family. You know you can always pop in at any time and join one of our episodes. We'd love to try and get you back towards the end of the season if possible. If not, you know you got a lock for season four. Mm -hmm. um, look, everybody. Great show today. We talked about a lot of great things. Don't forget to share this with any student athletes, families of student athletes that you know and love and you think this information will be very valuable for them. Catch us back here December 2nd. All right. December 2nd is our next show and our last show of 2023 before we kick off the uh, uh, new new year and everything. Um, mm -hmm. So make sure you all go like and subscribe to the YouTube page. Make sure you share our content and everything. And we'll catch y'all back December 2nd. Well, may I then end with this? Thank you for giving me this opportunity. I'm here anytime for you guys because when I come on, I learn. Well, we, thank, we thank you for that, Coach. And we, le we learned a lot from you today, too. Absolutely. And for my first time meeting you, I learned a lot from you today. And I really appreciate the information and wisdom that you share with us, man. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you back December 2nd. Bye-bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. <laughs>